0: This is the Revival Leadership Podcast. Welcome back, friends. It's great to have you here on the Revival Leadership Podcast, where our vision is to help kingdom leaders become revival leaders. We are now four episodes deep into Season 8, and today's episode is all about prayer. So just as a quick recap, we've been talking this season about what revival is, why we are still on for revival, even after all the chaos and disruption of 2020. And in the last episode, we talked about the need to get ready. Revival requires leadership, and revival leaders need to get ready.
1: Yeah, and we, we shared a couple ways, uh, key ways to get ready for revival, namely... Confession, repentance, praying and asking God for more of himself and consecration or like setting aside time and space, even our own selves for God to use.
0: Yes. Today, we want to talk about something that is uh, presupposed in all these preparatory steps. Number one, prayer. So as we see in the history of all revival, prayer is sort of assumed and required and essential in any and every form of revival,
1: yeah. At this point, I always hear um, like George Or, uh, who is a theologian, in the back of my mind speaking in some kind of lovely British accent. Uh, There's never been a revival of religion that was not preceded by a season of extraordinary prayer. <laughs> That was George Orr. Yeah. So that was a nice. p- terrible attempt. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Great man. talk. But yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely, it's an amazing uh, video. You can Google, Google it and it's on YouTube. Uh, George Orr speaking, I think it's some kind of conference back in the seventies. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. And you know, you can also listen to, by the way, I'll, I'll throw in Martin Lloyd Jones. I mean, another Brit, um, But he has 24 um, sermons that are online. If you go to mljtrust.org, you can listen to all these sermons from 1959. And he would always say that if you go back and read the histories in every revival, God raised up the intercessors first.
0: Mm, It's almost an axiom of sort, the relationship between prayer and revival.
1: Yeah. It's like peas and carrots. It's (laughs) like cheese and crackers.
0: Beer and wings.
1: Oh, that's like a fun game. Prayer (laughs) is to revival as... Bass
0: is to funk music.
1: Uh, (laughs) As heat is to cooking.
0: As sous vide is to duck. Oh, yeah, sous vide. All right, but back to prayer.
1: Yes, back to prayer.
0: Prayer is a critical aspect of preparing for revival. You just can't overemphasize or overstate its importance. No. We know that revival comes in all shapes and sizes, but we know that in all revivals, prayer is the universal precondition.
1: Right. And when we say prayer, we're not referring to like rote prayers or the kind of boring prayer meetings we've all attended at one time or another. Because, you know,
0: often when the church thinks prayer meeting, it thinks, wow, that sounds boring yeah exactly tedious
1: yeah like we're gonna spend an hour praying for aunt matilda's foot and (laughs) grandma Susie's goiter (laughs) yeah goiter we're not totally sure what that is but who wants to pray for goiter like
0: nobody (laughs) yeah so the prayer that precedes revival has a very different character Uh, i remember a tim keller Yeah. in one of his sermons on revival saying that this kind of prayer is extraordinary prayer. It is kingdom centered prayer.
1: Yeah. It's extraordinary. It's kingdom centered and it's united. It's united prayer. And before the second great awakening happened after the American revolution, there was this real decline in spirituality, both in America and Europe. And, um, deism was the reigning religion of the day. You know, Thomas Paine, Voltaire, Thomas Jefferson, um, all these folks were deists Mm -hmm. and you know like George Orr said in that thing I referenced that the the state of religion in America got so bad the Anglican bishop in New York basically hung up his you know whatever bishops hang up his mitre or (laughs) his staff or whatever and he really thought the entire denomination was gonna like throw in the towel.
0: Yeah, Voltaire at one point predicted Christianity would be extinct in 100 years. Yeah,
1: famously. Obviously, he did not have a good understanding of revival. Oh, snap. No, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so all this, like, pushed Jonathan Edwards uh, almost, like, back out of retirement at the end of the 1700s, and he published a, a pamphlet that appealed to Christians to unite in prayer for revival,
0: and it had one of those rather long extraordinary 18th century titles
1: yeah i think i think the full title was something like an humble appeal an humble appeal yeah <laughs> an humble appeal to expro- to promote explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth pursuant to scripture promises and prophecies concerning the last time.
0: Well, I'm glad he got pursuant in there. It's
1: like, it's an amazing title. (laughs) And I mean, you could make that the title of that pamphlet into like a seminary course. Mm -hmm. It the, The theology of revival that's contained in that in that subtitle of Edward's treatise is so good. And we'll talk more about explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in episode six, because it's, you know, it's really lacking right now.
0: Episode six is going to be be a fun one and probably get us some interesting emails.
1: Yeah. Yes, it will. But I, I think for now, the word that pops out at me is extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth. Revival that precedes prayer is extraordinary. Like we're not praying for Aunt Matilda and and her goiter (laughs) as much as we love her. Well,
0: we might pray for her foot, but we're praying for more than that. Yes,
1: we're praying for Christ's kingdom on earth. It's kingdom-focused prayer. We're asking God to accomplish His purposes for lost people to be saved, for idols to fall, for God's... Reign to break into the present in word, deed, and power. And we're asking for God to awaken and raise up the church and pour out a spirit and for the multitudes of lost people to enter the kingdom and for God to use us. We're in asking all of that.
0: Yeah, we're asking for justice to roll down like waters, in the words of uh, Amos the prophet and Dr. King.
1: Yeah, it's kingdom focused prayer, it's extraordinary prayer. Before revival comes, the intensity of prayer increases also, the duration of prayer. People like pray through the night. You know, I- I'll like never forget when my wife Sarah and I and a bunch of university staff and students went to Uganda on a mission trip. That's kind of the, the place where I really first felt called to seek God for revival. And anyway, we traveled with these students uh, on a on a mission trip up from Kampala, the capital to Gulu in the North. this is an area that had like recently been actually a war zone. And, um, and, and we, the vision of this trip was to go to these internally displaced persons camps and like heal people and cast out demons and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we were all a little overwhelmed, all of the Americans, but I remember the Ugandan intervarsity students. And these were students like, 18, 19, they would stay awake all night praying all the way through the night for the power of the Holy Spirit and the salvation of souls. And then when the Americans finally woke up, you know, they'd lead us out to do hut to hut evangelism in these IDP camps Mm. and they'd cast out demons. And then after eight hours of that, they'd gather the entire village and we'd have uh like a, a a sermon and they'd call hundreds of people to faith and and it was just the prayer though. It was the prayer was like the backbone of all of it. And it it lasted all night and it was so intense. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And then we'd come home from the mission and they'd start praying again. And I don't know how they slept, but <laughs> it was it was incredible. And but prayer is like at the heart mm. of revival.
0: Mm. And so, preceding the move of God in revival, there are these seasons of extraordinary prayer, kingdom-focused, united prayer, which, of course, is itself the work of God, and yet somehow also causes the work of God. It's tricky to tell which comes first, the prayer or the renewing work of God because of prayer, like, that is already evidence that God is moving. Mm. It's a bit of chicken in the egg, if you think it about is. it. It is. Like, do we pray... Do we pray like that and it causes revival, or does God move in us to pray like that?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I did an independent study on revival in seminary, my professor told me prayer, like, theologically can be understood as something called a second cause. The mm. primary cause of revival is, already, is is always God, but God w- wills prayer to be a second cause. He wants prayer to, to like also cause revival. So God stirs our heart to pray and then uses our prayers to cause revival. Mm. So from one perspective,
0: God causes revival, God alone. Mm -hmm. But from another perspective, he waits for us to pray and stirs us up to pray. And then he causes revival in response to our prayers. Exactly. It's a little inception. It
1: is. He incepts prayer and or he stirs us to pray. He nudges us to pray. But our job is To pray, like Mm -hmm. that's our job. And so we don't need to worry about how it gets caused. Like our job is that Mm -hmm. when God stirs us up with longing, we recognize that is God himself stirring in our hearts. And our job is to respond to it, is to pray and engage and participate in the causation of revival through our prayers. Mm. We see
0: that in salvation history, the importance of the role of the intercessor. Yes. Um, It's almost as if God doesn't move without them. I looked for a man to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, but no one was found.
1: Right. The intercessors are so important that God almost seems to like anthropo- anthropomorphically change his mind when he gets convinced by their arguments in prayer. Mm. Getting into some
0: tricky theological territory here, but Abraham convinces God not to destroy Sodom if he can find 10 righteous people and exact, Moses convinces yeah. God not to wipe out Israel after they make the golden calf. God is sovereign knowing the end from the beginning, yet Scripture um, seems to show us the influence praying people have with God.
1: Yeah, the, the revival in the Hebrides in Scotland in the 1940s, uh, late 1940s, came after months of a few church leaders, to, actually two elderly women that just met together and prayed and eventually got some pastors and elders And they're all just praying in a barn together. And and there was literally nothing else that seemed to happen. And then revival came in response. Same with the Welsh revival, Azusa revival, Korean Pentecost, the East African revival. They all came in response to like a few people Hmm. praying fervently.
0: Wow. All right. So we know that we need to pray to prepare for revival to see it happen. So what is our first step in that?
1: Yeah, so back to Uganda. I'm I'm at the end of this mission trip and I was asking really similar questions of God. I just saw so much spiritual life and vitality, and that was my question. Every person I met, like, how did how does this happen back in America? And the answer was, Well, you need to pray. And so I and I remember at the end of my time there I was moved with a vision for revival. I wanted to see revival in New England. And I'm sitting at the retreat center, we're about to head home, under a banana tree, I'm journaling, and I ask God, God, what do you want me to do with everything that I've seen here? And God spoke to me for the one of the first times I can remember, and the first thing he told me was, build the altars of prayer and worship.
0: Hmm. So what'd you do with that?
1: Nothing. Great. (laughs) And I think I may have said this in the first season. I didn't know what it meant actually for years. I'm kind of like the guy who took the talent and buried it in the ground. I, I didn't really try to figure it out. I just, you know, got busy doing ministry.
0: But eventually you did figure it out.
1: Yeah, I did. So about seven years later, 2015, um, I finally embraced this calling, and I kept talking about the word I'd received in Uganda to build the altars of prayer and worship. And eventually my wife, who's a wonderful person, uh, very straight shooter and a strategic, practical person, said... Well, I keep hearing you talk about building altars of prayer and worship, but I don't see you building anything. Mm. Like, what are you going to do? Uh-oh. Is it Does it go in the backyard? What does this altar <laughs> look like? And I didn't really know. So she just started asking me questions about, well, what do you, what do you know about an altar? And what, what I began to realize was that an altar is really a space that you clear for God to do something.
0: Your neighbors would have been... Asking you all sorts of questions yeah. if you had why an altar is, in the backyard.
1: F- why is this f- flame <laughs> falling going in on? my backyard? <laughs> why are you putting rocks in my backyard? Yeah. <laughs> Stop it.
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah, Elijah built an altar on Mount Carmel in his epic showdown with the prophets of Baal.
1: Yeah, and Tim Keller like talks about this later, I found out. I mean, in, in some of those sermons in 1990, which are online also, by the way, um he says that a bu- altar building is a fundamental it's the fundamental human aspect of our preparation for revival. So God sends the fire but it's our job to build the altar. Mm. Elijah had
0: to clear space, pile the stones, kill the animal to sacrifice, then and he had to taunt the prophets for a bit, then God sent the fire.
1: Yeah, and so it's like what we've been talking about. Revivals only God can do what God can do, but then the human aspect before God sends the fire we have to build the altar.
0: I mean, Pentecost could be another example of building an altar of prayer. The mm-hmm. early church gathers in the upper room to wait on God, and then
1: 10 days later, God sends fire. Tongues of fire. Tongues mm. of fire. Yeah, and so in 2015, Sarah, my wife, helped me strategize. And so if altar building is this divine strategy to prepare for revival, and it involves clearing space for God and seeking Him in prayer. Well, we needed to clear space for God in our lives and a space to seek Him for revival. And Sarah said, "Well, what about Tuesday nights? We didn't have anything ministry-related on the calendar for Tuesdays. Normally, what we would have done was not was wa- watch Netflix. So you got rid of Netflix and you chilled with God instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Exactly, we we <laughs> <laughs> it, we made space." To worship God and to pursue, yes, intimacy with Him and to Mm -hmm. wait on Him. No real agenda. And, you know, at first we had, uh, like, I got out all these instruments, you know, guitars, basses, keyboard, and we invited anyone who wanted to seek God to come. And we kind of thought of it like the tent of meeting in Exodus 33. Moses set up this special tent of meeting outside the camp, and anyone who wanted to seek the Lord could go out there to the tent.
0: Hmm. So basically, you opened up and kind of shepherded this altar space for about six years now. Yeah, off and on. Yeah, but mostly on, and it's it's had a pretty big impact on the communities that you're connected to.
1: It it has. It it's it's humble. That wasn't almost. a question. I'm, I'm no. a part of them. I'm a part of most <laughs> of them, and it certainly has. <laughs> Um, it feels a little bit like the parable of the mustard seed. It was mm. like this tiny decision to give God a very small thing Tuesday night and commit ourselves to seek him with our friends until revival comes. And, but it's grown into like, you know, like the mustard seeds grown into mm. a, a little shrub now yeah. of God's kingdom.
0: Yeah. There are three quote unquote altars of prayer that happen on Tuesday at our church and several other prayer gatherings that are influenced by it. There's a community of really committed folks who are interceding for revival on a regular basis. And while our church has always had a vision for revival, it has definitely grown way more intentional and explicit in that vision. It's become this kind of rallying cry, and the prayer altar has played into this. Also, uh, this altar of prayer really discipled a whole community of InterVarsity staff in New England into a vision for revival and into a new prayer culture and new prayer habits as well.
1: I think it's been, at least for me, the most important and probably one of the most fruitful things I've done in ministry is set aside a space to gather folks to pray and seek God for mm-hmm. revival. And my sense is uh, from God, and I have had actually had a vision about this, is that these altars of prayer are really a divine strategy to get ready for revival. And so I feel, I kind of feel urgent about it. I think it's the most critical thing we can do in any church or any, you know, parachurch organization is to find out who God's calling to intercede and to get them together and to start praying. And, you know, it's interesting. The prayer altar I've been leading since 2015 has waxed and waned over the years. It's gone through seasons and cycles. It's, you know, sometimes it was like 15 people. And sometimes it was like me, you know, (laughs) Mm. but I tried to show up most Tuesday nights. Um, but in 2020 when the pandemic hit, it was like, I I was like, what's going to happen with this. And it actually got a shot in the arm. Mm. I'm not sure like why I have my theories, but the group has grown probably from a couple people each week to like eight to 10 regularly, some weeks more. And definitely the intensity of, the prayer and the group has increased drastically. Like it used to take us a while to get rolling, so Mm -hmm. to speak, to like really get into the throne room. But now we get there like right away. And I think, you know, the intensity of the pandemic has actually activated the intercessors and, and the zoom format, uh, interestingly enough, actually makes it easier in some ways to pray. Mm -hmm. Definitely easier to gather people. You know, they don't have to like get out in the snow and drive to some place. They could just click a link.
0: Yeah. I imagine, you know, um, worship might be a little hard, but prayer is easier.
1: It is. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 and I I actually think zoom lends itself to prayer. Um, it's definitely one of the best things you could do on Zoom. It's one of the least boring things. Mm-hmm. And if you sometimes if you close your eyes you kind of forget you're on Zoom. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe God designed Zoom for this moment to yeah. help activate people in prayer. I mean, you
0: are you're you're probably definitely if you know, if you are someone who is maybe a little more new to prayer or self-conscious about praying in a group of people being on Zoom. Is, might might lower that bar it d- a little
1: I think it does We've had new people show up and, mm-hmm. and they can kind of feel free to just not You know, keep themselves muted And mm-hmm. listen in and, But they absorb kind of the culture Of the hot coals of the room, so to speak So,
0: So, fellow revival leaders It's time for some of us to build An altar of prayer Somewhere in our lives Time to set aside a space A block in your calendar And commit that time to God Set it apart consecrate it
1: yeah and like think about who are some of the folks you might want to invite to join you you know don't don't try to get everyone there all at once but think about like who's hungry for this who are a couple friends that you could kind of look in the eye and say hey would you would you commit to praying with me think about like a fire you know you're trying to light a fire you need kindling first you need newspaper kindling don't try to throw the wet log on or a wet blanket on the fire <laughs> like think about who's who's ready and then invite them cast vision tell them about your heart for a revival tell them you don't want to do it alone and you know two are better than one if one falls down the other can pick them up
0: mm. and a quarter three strands even better
1: yeah so three is three is definitely even better than two and we need each other to keep seeking God. No, no coal can burn on the barbecue all by itself. They have to be piled together because the fire burns in between.
0: So build an altar, friends, an altar of prayer and worship in your church, on your team, in your fellowship, wherever, and gather together the coal so God can help you to burn hot. And next week, we're going to talk about what to do in that prayer altar space. How do we pray And particularly, how do we intercede for revival, literally? So, remember, subscribe to the feed. Like us on Facebook or Instagram if you're still doing that sort of thing. Share it with a friend who you think would be encouraged by this. And feel free to send us an email at revivalleadershippodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, see you next time.